We all have tasks we'd like to avoid, like mailing and shipping. It takes time lugging all those letters and packages to the post office. That's why you should try Stamps.com. For 25 years, Stamps.com has made mailing and shipping easy. You get all the services of the post office right on your computer, anytime. No traffic, no waiting, no hassle. Plus, you save money with discounts up to 84% on USPS and UPS. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and printer. Print stamps, print shipping labels, and if you sell products online, Stamps.com connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart, so you can spend less time on shipping and more time on your business. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage and a digital scale. Just go to stamps.com and enter code PROGRAM. Hey guys, before we start today's episode, I want to talk about one of my all-time favorite podcasts, The Prosecutors. The Prosecutors is a podcast hosted by, you guessed it, two prosecutors who don't just walk you through the cases you think you know, they walk you through the trials, like the trials of Casey Anthony, Scott Peterson, Michael Peterson, and Darlie Routier. Instead of standing on the sidelines of the media, prosecutors' listeners sit in the gallery and hear the case the way the jury did. And if you're like me, you might realize you didn't know these trials the way you thought you did. Not only are Brett and Alice dropping knowledge left and right, they're also a freaking hoot in front of and behind the mic. Alice is the human embodiment of a birthday cake and the mom friend we all need. And Brett is always ready and willing to dish out free legal advice for our Big Mad episodes and is always up for a good debate on any case. If you're looking for a podcast to hold you over between Big Mad episodes and you want to get down to the bare bones of a case without the fluff of the media or rabbit holes to nowhere, check out the Prosecutor's Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also check out their newest podcast, Legal Briefs, where each week they teach you about a different legal topic. This week, they went over the difference between federal and state jurisdiction and recently did an episode on grand juries. The Prosecutors is a podcast I never miss and frankly pay to get early and ad free. I have no doubt you guys are going to love it just as much as I do. So check them out anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Minnesota. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. This is a case where we know exactly what happened. Two teens broke into a 64-year-old man's house only to wind up dead. There is no question as to what happened. This all comes down to whether or not it was justified. With that, let's get to know the people involved. The teens, 17-year-old Nick Brady and 18-year-old Haley Kiefer, were cousins. They were really popular at their respective high schools. Both of them were gorgeous and exactly what you'd expect from a teen in the 2010s. Think mirror selfies and the cooler versions of flip phones before everyone started to get cell phones. A friend told the Star Tribune that Nick was outgoing and perpetually happy. If he caught you having a bad day, you could count on him to tell you to turn that frown upside down. 
Haley was just as memorable. She too was always smiling and extremely active at her school. She competed in gymnastics, helped manage the high school wrestling team, and was also a swimmer. Her coach told the Star Tribune she was always happy. She had a way that just made everyone happy. A lot of the swimmers and divers looked up to her. Another 15-year-old friend told the Daily Mail they were just really great people. They could make anyone laugh. Now that you know Nick and Haley, it's time to get to know 64-year-old Byron Smith. Byron was extremely successful by all accounts. According to the Brainerd Dispatch, he'd served four years in the military before spending the next decade and a half working as a security engineer for the State Department, which is a pretty big deal. This wasn't small-town security, this was government security setting up systems to protect the elite. According to the Morrison County record, he'd served in countries like Cairo, Bangkok, and Beijing before finally retiring in the early 2000s. He retired to his childhood home in Little Falls, Minnesota to live a quiet life. Neighbors who spoke to the Star Tribune said that Byron kept to himself, but he didn't exactly go unnoticed. He would reportedly shoot guns on his property, which made people a little uneasy about the kids in the neighborhood. That being said, there were other people who spoke to the media that said Byron was the kind of person that if anything was wrong, he would do anything within his power to help you. That while he might have been quiet, he was just selective about what he said. Around noon on Thanksgiving 2012, so November 22nd, Nick and Haley broke into Byron's home. Byron was reportedly working in his workshop downstairs in the basement when he heard the break-in. He told police that he heard one of his windows break upstairs, followed by footsteps. But this wasn't the first break-in he had had. Just one month prior, on October 27th, his family says that $10,000 worth of guns, electronics, and cash were stolen after an intruder broke through a panel on a lower-level door. The guns stolen included a shotgun and a rifle. A camera and three dollars to $4,000 worth of cash were also taken. His brother told the Daily Mail that the October burglary was just one of the six to eight Byron had experienced in the last few years. All of the other break-ins seemed to have happened when he wasn't at the house, but this time he was. The two intruders into Byron's home were none other than cousins Nick and Haley. They'd used a pipe to break out the window in a bedroom on the back side of the house. They proceeded to walk through the house and eventually, Nick made his way down the stairs of the basement, which Byron was currently in. It was when Nick started coming down those stairs that Byron told investigators he shot Nick with a rifle. Byron told police that Nick fell to the bottom where Byron then shot him again, this time in the face. Byron's exact words to police were, he is looking face up at me and I shoot him in the face. I want him dead. After killing Nick, he dragged his body into the workshop, which was a small room to the right of the bottom of the staircase. After that, Byron took a seat in a chair and waited for Haley to follow suit. A few minutes later, Haley did walk down the stairs, which is when Byron shot her with the same rifle he killed Nick with. She too fell down and Byron tried to shoot her a second time, but his gun jammed. Byron claims that Haley laughed at him when his gun didn't fire, and that made him mad. Everything in me is telling me that 18-year-old Haley, after being shot and falling down the stairs, is probably not laughing about anything, but that's what he claims, and unfortunately, Nick and Haley aren't here to give their side of the story. 
Byron told police, if you're trying to shoot somebody and they laugh at you, you go again. And I would beg to differ, but that was his mindset. I'd also like to point out that he was already attempting to shoot her again, so her laughing at him certainly was not the catalyst to his actions. Knowing he couldn't shoot Haley with a jammed gun, Byron pulled out a 22 caliber revolver he had on him and shot her several more times. He then dragged her body into the workshop with Nix. When Byron claims he heard her gasping for air, he put the gun under her chin and shot her one last time. Byron told police it was a good, clean finishing shot. He went on to detail how she'd given a death twitch, adding it works the same on a beaver or deer. This is the part of the story where you would assume a man like Byron would call the police, you know, to let them know he had just shot two intruders in his home, but that's not what he did. It wasn't until the following day, a little more than 24 hours later, that Byron called one of his neighbors and according to the Daily Mail said, I think I solved the break-ins, I think it's over. He then asked the neighbor if he'd be kind enough to find him a lawyer and told him, you better get a deputy out here. It wasn't Byron, the security genius who'd worked for the government for more than a decade and a half who called the police. It was his neighbor. When asked why he didn't just call right after the shooting, Byron told detectives, just because my Thanksgiving is screwed up, I don't need to screw up yours. And I'm sure everyone listening already understands this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Officers on duty are on duty. Regardless of whether or not calls are coming in, I am certain that Nick and Haley's family would have much preferred knowing where their children were as opposed to wondering why they hadn't come home on Thanksgiving. Their parents were searching for their children, having no idea they had been shot multiple times and were lying dead on a basement floor in a workshop of a home not far from theirs. With snow blanketing the ground around a house that sat on the banks of the Mississippi River, police drove down the long, tree-lined driveway to the tiny red house with a two-car garage. There was nothing about this house that would indicate anything violent had taken place. Officers processed the scene, and as you can imagine, were thrown off by the amount of force used to subdue the intruders. Byron admitted that he had fired more shots than he needed to, but when asked why he didn't stop when either teen was no longer a threat, he told investigators, even if I kill someone, I don't want them to suffer. Almost like he thought he had done them a favor. Byron was a grown man in his own home when two people broke in through a window and went through his house. That right there had a lot of people immediately jumping to the conclusion that whatever he did was justified. But not everyone agreed. Nick and Haley were only teenagers, and the shooting happened on a day where their tight-knit family was supposed to be together, talking about all the things they were thankful for. And one of those things was their bond. Nick and Haley spent a lot of time together and were as much best friends as they were cousins. They'd even gone to the same high school together until recently when Nick transferred to a different school. Their deaths rocked the entire community, whether it was their family, friends they went to school with and played sports with, or even their neighbors. This is a very, very small town where everyone knows everyone. You're either related, you work together, or you went to school with one another. There was not a soul in this town that wasn't impacted by this tragedy in some way. 
On March 26, 2012, four days after the shooting occurred, Byron was charged with two counts of second-degree murder and held on a $2 million bond. And frankly, I'm surprised he wasn't charged with first-degree. If at any point in time you have an opportunity to change the outcome of a murder, it can qualify as premeditated. Premeditated does not always mean that it was planned in advance. When Nick fell down the stairs and was on his back looking up at Byron, Byron had the chance to stop the attack, but he didn't. Instead, he proceeded to shoot Nick in the face. But if there's one of these murders that I think qualifies for first degree most, it would be Haley's. Because not only did Byron continue his attack on her, he changed weapons and crime scenes. The initial attack took place on the stairs and then at the bottom of the stairs, but with a different weapon. He then dragged her into his workshop where he shot her one last time. Byron, without a doubt, had multiple opportunities to change the outcome of this attack between either changing weapons or dragging their bodies from the bottom of the stairs and into his workshop. To me, that does sound like it would qualify for first-degree murder. But the waters are a little muddied because they did break into his house. Because of that, Byron was, without a doubt, going to claim self-defense a defense the public would be pretty divided on, even to this day. Hey guys, today's episode is sponsored by PayPal Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. But did you know it only takes a few seconds to get it? That means if you go to add it to your laptop or iPhone right now, you could be done before this ad read is over. When I make a to-do list, it's always a little daunting because when I decide to do something, I am ready for it to be done. Checking those items off my list makes me feel legitimately lighter. The quicker I can get it done, the better. You know what else works fast? Honey's deal-finding abilities. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button appears, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons, wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons it can find for that site, and if Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. I was looking online for some new baseball sunglasses for my son. I went to the brand's website and added the ones he picked out to my cart, and instantly, the Honey symbol came up. I went to check out, and my Honey extension popped up with three different codes that I didn't even have to type in. Instead, it ran through every single one of them automatically and picked the code that got me the biggest discount. Honey saved me $21.10. I didn't even have to do the math to figure out how much I saved either because Honey literally popped up to tell me exactly how much it was. I'm always a little worried that something new is going to be complicated, but I just added the Honey extension to my browser and within maybe a minute, it was doing all of the discount scouring and applying for me. But Honey doesn't just work on desktop, it works on your iPhone too. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. Getting Honey seriously only takes a few seconds, and by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. Get PayPal Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash bigmad. That's joinhoney.com slash bigmad. While the public might have been divided, the sheriff's department was not. 
The sheriff himself told the Daily Mail, a person has every right to defend themselves and their homes, even employing deadly force if necessary. Circumstances of this case, however, led deputies to believe that Smith went beyond that point. The sheriff told Fox 9, the law doesn't permit you to execute someone. Once the threat is gone, when it becomes clear there's no threat to you and a felony can't be committed in your home, you no longer have the right to shoot someone. The prosecutor told the Daily Mail, Mr. Smith intentionally killed two teenagers in his home in a matter that goes well beyond self-defense. The prosecutor described the shooting as appalling. When it comes to Minnesota, a homeowner can use deadly force if they believe their own life is at risk. Byron claims that he feared the teens had weapons, and to be fair, he kind of had a right to assume they might be armed. His house had been burglarized the month prior and two guns were stolen, a shotgun and a rifle, both of which are long guns and would be pretty easy to spot once you see the person. It's not like you can hide a shotgun or rifle in your pocket or under your shirt. You're definitely going to see it. However, Nick and Haley most definitely were not armed during this burglary. Minnesota is not a stand-your-ground state, but it does apply the Castle Doctrine, which according to Brock Hunter Law, removes your duty to retreat when you feel threatened with great bodily injury or death in your home. That means that you don't have to run and hide, you can defend yourself against a threat in your home. The question here is how do you discern when the threat is eliminated? How do you measure fear? Friends and family of the teens wondered, if Byron was as scared as he said he was, why didn't he call the police? Why didn't he do anything before deciding to shoot them? In this case, it would come down to whether or not the jury would agree with Byron's actions. And even if they agreed that he had the right to shoot Nick and Haley, would they agree that his use of force was necessary? Was there a point in time after they were both at the bottom of the stairs where he could have called for help and possibly saved the lives of the two intruders in his home? But then it also comes down to whether or not he had that responsibility. Are you responsible for caring for the welfare of intruders in your home? Had Byron taken it too far? In the end, it would be Byron's word against the evidence. The sheriff told the Associated Press that the fact of the matter is, if people have all the facts, they would not be quite so divided in their opinions, adding that a lot of details of their investigation hadn't been made public yet. He told the outlet, it's not as controversial or as unclear an issue as people might think at first blush. Following the shooting and Byron's arrest, a memorial page was created on Facebook for the teens. Friends flooded the page with comments about how unfair this all was and hoping their friends would get justice. At a memorial held shortly after, friends talked openly about how talented and popular Nick and Haley were. Though that popularity didn't outshine the question everyone was asking. Why were Nick and Haley, of all people, breaking into someone's house? According to an interview Nick's sister did with the Star Tribune, it couldn't have been for money, at least for Nick, because he worked for his father's tree trimming business. His sister did, however, wonder if maybe they were looking for pills. She confided in the outlet that Haley had been previously treated for substance abuse, citing one time when Haley had reportedly stolen Adderall from her house. She said Haley had just returned back to her high school and seemed to be turning her life around, so this all came at a really strange time. This moment in Haley's life seemed to be kind of a new beginning for her, so the timing didn't make any sense to anyone she knew. 
Regardless, Nick's sister made a really important statement to the Star Tribune, saying she had an addiction problem and stuff, but that doesn't mean she deserves to get murdered at 18 years old. Adding, I understand they came there to rob him or whatever, but shoot them in the shoulder and call the cops. A member of the Facebook page commented, It doesn't matter what they were or weren't doing there. They were kids that didn't deserve to die. Defending your property against armed burglars is one thing. Gunning down two unarmed teenagers is just inexcusable. No one who knew them was defending what either of them had done, Nick's sister even insinuating that she could understand why he was initially shot, but what no one could get past was that the attack didn't end when the threat did. It was the additional shots, the shots to the face and the chin, that took this past self-defense and into the realm of execution. Nick's sister visited Byron's home, where the Star Tribune took a picture of her breaking down in tears along that desolate driveway leading to the home where her brother was killed. While there, she spoke to Byron's brother Bruce, telling him they didn't need to die. Bruce's response? That all depends on your perspective. On November 27, 2012, it hit the news that police were investigating whether or not Nick and Haley might be responsible for a break-in that had taken place the night before the shooting at a home just six miles south of Byron's. Initial findings suggested that they had indeed been involved. Police had been processing the vehicle Nick had driven the day of the shooting, which was found parked near the end of Byron's Road. That vehicle is what seemed to have been tying Byron's burglary to the one that happened the night prior. It had reportedly been seen at the end of a driveway near the other home that had been burglarized. The owner of that home was out of the country at the time, and according to the Star Tribune, didn't get back until three days after Nick and Haley had been killed. The owner returned from his trip to find his patio door having been pried open with a crowbar he kept on his back deck. According to Fox 9, his cabinets and drawers had been pulled open, a little less than $5 in pennies were missing, as well as coins he had collected from different countries, and several different medications. The medications weren't anything you could get high off of. They were for diabetes, cholesterol, blood pressure, antibiotics, that kind of thing. But this burglary happened before anyone had Google at their fingertips on their smartphones, and someone breaking into a house might not have been worried about taking the time to look up whether or not that medication they were stealing would have been any use to them. They might be more focused on getting it and getting the hell out of there as quickly as possible. It didn't take long for police to confirm that it was Nick's car that had been seen near the previous burglary. KARE reports that inside Nick's car, they found six prescription bottles belonging to that homeowner, and the cousins had almost been caught that evening. At around 9.30 p.m., a man had actually called the police to report a suspicious vehicle parked at the end of the driveway. That vehicle was Nick's. Police made contact with Nick that night, and he reportedly told police that he was parked there because he and his cousin had been driving around when they ran out of gas. His explanation for Haley's absence was that she had left to go get some gas. According to KARE, police bought his story and even gave him a ride into town, which left his vehicle behind. Police had no idea that a burglary had just taken place or might have been in progress because it had not been reported yet. The homeowner told the Star Tribune, The whole thing is very sad that they lost their lives. In the same sentence, if they hadn't been breaking into houses, they'd be alive. And that sentiment seems to be what was fueling the massive divide in the public eye. 
A couple weeks later, on December 10th, the Daily Mail reported that there was a video of the break-in and an audio recording of the shooting. Police had collected Byron's memory cards and several computers during their investigation. The Daily Mail also reported that Byron had blood on his clothes and his shoes when police got to his house, meaning he likely hadn't changed or showered in the 24 hours after killing them. On December 17th, a court proceeding was held. Byron's defense wanted his bail lowered, and the prosecution absolutely did not. The prosecutor played some of the audio recording of the shooting, and you can hear the initial shot and a second which hit Nick, causing him to fall down the stairs. After that, you hear the voice of Byron telling him, you're dead, before firing the final shot at Nick's face at point-blank range. The entire thing was eerie enough, but the audio offered something else. The sound of a tarp rustling. Byron had placed a camouflage tarp at the bottom of the stairs prior to Nick coming down. And only 18 seconds after killing him, you can hear the tarp crinkling, followed by ominous dragging noises. Putting all of that together, it sounds like Byron heard the break-in, got two of his guns, sat in a chair, and waited in the basement for Nick to come downstairs. When Nick did come down, Byron shot him twice until he fell down the stairs to the tarp that was waiting. Byron then told him, you're dead, before shooting Nick a third time in the face. And it gets worse. That tarp wasn't the only preparation Byron had made. He also removed the light bulbs from the fixture in the basement, making it harder for anyone to see what was going on. If Nick was coming down the stairs, he likely would not have been able to see much of anything down there. With enough time and wherewithal to remove light bulbs and place a tarp down, Byron very well could have called the police or ran out of the house, but that's not what he did. His actions sounded like those of a calm and collected man, not someone riddled with fear. But then again, how do you measure fear? How does anyone decide what they would do in that situation? Hey guys, have you ever purchased a subscription, completely forgotten about it, and then went to try and cancel it, but couldn't even figure out where on the website you were supposed to go, let alone your login information? Because that's me. I am her. But Rocket Money can take care of that with just a few quick taps. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, and chances are you're one of them. Like that one streaming app you signed up for just to watch one show, or that free gaming trial you never actually used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily find your subscriptions for you, and for any you don't want to pay for anymore, just hit cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It is that easy. Rocket Money also helps you manage all your finances in one place and automatically categorize your expenses so you can easily track your budget in real time and also get alerted if anything looks off. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. I don't have cable, so I subscribe to basically every streaming service out there. Little did I know, I was paying for one of those services twice. I guess I'd forgotten I'd signed up at one point and signed up again. Rocket Money finds those little whoopsies and helps you take care of them easily, so you don't have to search through page after page of a website that you forgot your login information to. 
Just tap and poof, it is gone. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash bigmad. That's rocketmoney.com slash bigmad. Rocketmoney.com slash bigmad. As the hearing continued, the Brainerd Dispatch reports that after Nick's body was dragged into the workshop, Byron reloaded his rifle and waited for Haley. Ten minutes later, she quietly called out for Nick before walking down those same stairs. As she walked down, you can hear a loud bang, which was the first shot that made contact with Haley. Following the first shot, Byron's gun jammed. According to Byron's story to police, this is where Haley laughed at him, making him angry and enticing him to shoot her again. If she laughed at him, you would assume we'd hear it in that audio recording, but you don't. Instead, you hear her yelling, oh my God, oh my God, before Byron tells her, oh, sorry about that. He then took out his second weapon, that 22 caliber pistol, and shot her several more times. You can hear Byron saying, you're dying, you're dying. The audio goes quiet for a minute and 50 seconds before you hear another shot, which is when Byron held the gun under Haley's chin and fired, following it up with one single word, bitch. After learning all of that new information, you might think the judge would deny lowering Byron's bond, but no. It was lowered from $2 million to $500,000, meaning Byron would only have to come up with $50,000 to be released pending trial. Byron did post that bail. On February 5th, 2013, a 17-year-old who we'll call Corey was arrested on charges of second and third degree aiding and abetting, and it was in connection to two of the previous burglaries at Byron's house. He'd been hired to do odd jobs around Byron's property the previous summer. Byron had apparently hired a bunch of different teens in the area so they could make some easy money. According to the Daily Mail, Nick and Haley were two of those teens. The Morrison County Record reported that it was Corey's father who called the police after the shootings and told them that his son might have information about where Byron's stolen goods might be. Corey told police that in the summer of 2012, he had been the lookout for Nick while Nick kicked in Byron's basement door and came out with an envelope of cash and a camera. We'd heard previously that the cash and camera had been stolen back in October, the month prior to the shootings, but regardless, Corey seemed to have an explanation for how and when those items were stolen. He not only implicated Nick, but also himself. Corey said that in return for helping Nick, Nick bought him clothing and shoes with the stolen cash and also said that Nick gave him an ATV, but that's not all he admitted to. Fast forward to mid-October of 2012, Corey said that he and Nick parked at a soccer field near Byron's house and then walked over to his property. Corey said that once again, he acted as the lookout while Nick broke into the garage and came out with a chainsaw, rolls of copper wire, and a gas siphoning kit. Copper wire is often stolen from places like construction sites because the copper can be resold pretty easily at scrapyards for a decent amount of money. With the stolen loot in hand, the two left Byron's house on foot. 
but instead of hauling everything back to the car, they dropped it off in some woods near the property and came back at a later date to pick it up. This break in the case of Byron's previous burglaries gave some context as to why of all the homes in the area, Nick and Haley had picked Byron's. According to the Star Tribune, it was after hiring Nick that Byron claims to have noticed the missing shotgun. And while Nick was only one of the teens he hired that summer, the story goes a little deeper. According to the Morrison County record, the shotgun was found at another teen's home back in December. It was an 18-year-old who said he had got it from a 16-year-old who will call James. James had reportedly traded the gun for an electric garage heater and a bicycle. James also wound up talking to police, and he said that he got the gun from none other than Nick as the payment for $130 Nick apparently owed him. James also told authorities that he had gone with Nick to Byron's property earlier in the year to burglarize it, but they didn't wind up going in because it looked like someone was home at the time. He went on to tell police about different items he had seen at Nick's house which he thought might have been stolen and listed cameras, car stereos, subwoofers, iPads, and it hurts me to say this, but war medals, most of which he believed had been taken from Byron's house. There's really no question at this point that Nick was responsible for at least some of the prior break-ins at Byron's house, but he seemed to only break in when no one was home, except for the day he was killed. Byron's attorney told the Morrison County Record that one of the scariest things anyone can experience is fear of the unknown. The problem about the unknown is that you don't know if they're armed, if they're going to hurt you, if they're intoxicated with alcohol and drugs. You don't know what they're thinking and you don't know what their purpose is and that creates fear. Byron's attorney went on to talk with the media a lot about the fear instilled in his client over the previous months. He noted that Byron was not a drug user nor an alcoholic and even compared him to a Boy Scout, which doesn't seem to be too far off because in some pictures floating around, it looks like he was in fact an Eagle Scout at some point in his life. And I don't know if an Eagle Scout is one of those things where it's like once an Eagle Scout, always an Eagle Scout. So please don't come after me. The county attorney told the Star Tribune, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what happened to Smith before Thanksgiving. I don't care. That's an excuse he's going to present for murdering two victims. Adding, they are prosecuting a juvenile who had burglarized Mr. Smith's home earlier, and that's exactly the way it's supposed to work. You call the police, and police are there to hold the burglars accountable. If only Mr. Smith had done that on Thanksgiving, and he chose not to. In a contrary statement, Byron's attorney told the Morrison County Record, These kids created this. We wish this didn't happen. He didn't have a sign on the outside of his house saying, Come in and burglarize me for the second, third, fourth time. This is not something he invited or wanted to happen. But he felt he had to deal with his fears in a legal fashion. The law allows people to protect their lives in their own home. And it's that legal fashion that's up for debate here. The Morrison County attorney went on to say that the number of times Brian's home had been burglarized would not affect how the case was prosecuted. Byron's trial was not going to be about one single shot to stop a burglar. It was going to be about every single shot after. 
five months after Brian was charged, the stakes changed. A grand jury indicted him on two counts of first-degree murder, which is fitting considering everything we talked about earlier. If convicted, he would face a mandatory sentence of life without parole. Those first-degree charges did not replace the second-degree ones. They were stacked on top of them. His attorney told the St. Cloud Times that he was going to ask for the murder charges to be dismissed. Which one? Who knows? He also planned on asking for the evidence obtained by search warrants to be suppressed. He claimed prosecutorial misconduct during jury proceedings and flaws in the case. It sounded like one hell of a Hail Mary and a little bit like throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping it sticks, but it didn't work. All of Byron's charges stuck. In April of 2014, Byron's trial officially began. As to be expected, his defense remained self-defense. In opening statements, the prosecution set the stage for what really happened in Byron's basement. The following information comes from the incredible coverage of the trial from Fox 9, The Star Tribune, The Daily Mail, and Tomo News. We knew previously that Nick's previous pattern was to break into Byron's home when no one was there. As it turns out, Byron moved his truck away from his home that day, seeming to make it appear that no one was there. And Byron wasn't tinkering around in his workshop, frantic after hearing broken glass and footsteps above. Instead, he was sitting in a comfy red chair with two guns, two energy bars, a water, and a nice paperback book. And that audio recording hadn't come from something the security expert installed in his house. Byron had turned on a small recorder, which he placed on the bookshelf beside his chair. I don't know how relevant this is, but according to Fox 9, Byron also had a cell phone jammer upstairs. We don't know whether or not he had it turned on, but you have to wonder why anyone would have that unless they didn't want someone to be able to make any calls out. According to the FCC, federal law prohibits anyone from owning a jamming device. At 12.30 p.m., Byron heard his front door rattle, then footsteps on the deck, saw a shadow in the window, and then heard glass breaking above. After hearing all of that, he didn't get up, he didn't call the police, and he definitely didn't run. He sat and waited. Although, according to his defense, that waiting was hiding. When Nick came down the stairs, Byron shot him in the chest, and in that audio, you can hear him let out a pained and shocked groan. Another shot was fired, hitting him in the back, which was followed by another painful groan. You can hear Nick's body as it tumbles down the stairs. The final shot, the one that killed Nick, was through his head, but it went through his hand first, meaning Nick was likely trying to do the only thing he could to protect himself at that point, holding up a hand to try and block the impending bullet. Once Nick was dead, Byron put his body on that tarp so he wouldn't get blood on his carpet. But looking at the crime scene photos, you can see pools of blood and drag marks across the floor. Nonetheless, Byron dragged Nick's body into the workshop, reloaded his rifle, sat back down in his waiting chair, and waited for Haley to follow. Minutes later, she did. Reports state that you can hear Haley faintly call Nick's name 12 seconds before walking down the stairs, though I couldn't hear that. Granted, the public only got bits and pieces of that recording while the jury would have heard everything. As far as the recordings I listened to, you can hear Haley walk down the stairs, but she doesn't get far before you hear a gunshot. You then hear Byron saying, oh, sorry about that, which would have happened after the gun jammed. And maybe Haley thought the gun jamming was going to spare her life, 
but it didn't. You can hear her scream, oh my God. Byron told her, you're dying. And with those words, he shot her two more times. Once through the left eye, indicating he was likely right-handed, and another time behind her left ear. In between those shots, you can hear Haley continue to scream until her screams come to an abrupt stop. When she stopped screaming, Byron coldly called her a bitch. Hey guys, let's talk about laundry. Why does laundry detergent come in those huge, heavy plastic jugs that drip all over the place? Seriously, who wants that? 91 of those inconvenient, awkward, heavy jugs ends up in landfills and oceans harming our planet and marine life. There has to be a better way because it's not like we can just stop doing laundry. So do what I did and switch to EarthBreeze. My new EarthBreeze laundry detergent eco sheets look like dryer sheets, but they're not. It's a revolutionary liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold. No measuring, no mess, and no heavy plastic jugs. Just toss the sheet in. EarthBreeze has made the whole concept of detergent just better. The packaging is lightweight, biodegradable, and plastic-free. It's great for all laundry lifestyles, even sensitive skin. Their eco sheets are even hypoallergenic and dermatologist-tested. EarthBreeze is compatible with HE, high-efficiency washers, gray water systems, and is septic-safe, which is an impressive list. They offer flexible subscriptions that can be adjusted, paused, or canceled by you at any time. No contracts or fees. It's delivered right to your door via free carbon-neutral shipping at a frequency you can set that works for your unique lifestyle. Most importantly, though, you still get a powerful clean. EarthBreeze is tough on stains, fights odors, and your clothes come out clean every time. With a house of five, I am at minimum doing a load of laundry a day, if not more. EarthBreeze's subscription service has taken the stress out of making sure I never run out of detergent, and their eco sheets have made washing so much easier. I'm not lugging that big jug off the shelf, pouring and pouring and hoping to everything it doesn't run down the sides because I don't know why, but cleaning my detergent bottle bugs me more than cleaning endless loads of laundry. I expect to clean my clothes and color me petty, but I don't want to have to clean the bottle too. With the eco sheets, that is a non-issue. I just take it out, throw it in the wash and move on with my day. Don't just take my word for it. You can try it yourself with their risk-free 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it, EarthBreeze will give you a full refund. No questions asked and no return necessary. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash bigmad to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash bigmad for 40% off. EarthBreeze.com slash BigMad. After the second shot to Haley's head, Byron dragged her body into the workshop and then laid her body on top of Nick's. Byron claimed that she was still gasping for air when he put the gun under her chin one last time and fired. Nick was shot three times while Haley was shot six. Though according to reports, Haley could not have been gasping for air during that sixth shot because it was the fifth one that had killed her. Gunshot residue testing determined that she may have been shot from six to 12 inches away. However, the bullets traveled through her sweatshirt before making contact. 
Because the thick fabric may have prevented the expected stippling and burn marks associated with a contact gunshot wound, reports noted that she may have actually been shot at point-blank range. In addition to the audio of the shooting, there was also audio of everything that happened after. Remember, they were down in Byron's basement for 24 hours before his neighbor called police. In those 24 hours, Byron had a lot to say to himself. The following are several, several, several different quotes that he made to himself in the aftermath. It goes as follows. Cute. I'm sure she thought she was a real pro. I feel a little bit safer. Not totally safe. I'm still shaking a bit, but a little bit safer. I refuse to live in fear. I am not a bleeding heart liberal. I feel like I was cleaning up a mess. Not like spilled food. Not like vomit. Not even like, not even like diarrhea. The worst possible mess. Someday, they will respect me. I was doing my civic duty. Since the law enforcement system couldn't handle it, I had to do it. I had to do it. They weren't human. I don't see them as human. I see them as vermin. This bitch was going to go through life spoiling things for others. Thieving, robbing, drug use. It's all cool and fun and exciting and highly profitable until somebody kills you. Like I give a damn who she is. I'm sorry. So much regret. I tried to be a good person. I tried to do what I should do. Be friendly to other people. Help them when I can. Try to be a good citizen. Not cheat people. Be fair. And because I try to be a decent person, they think I'm a patsy. I'm a sucker. They think I'm there for them to take advantage of. Is that the reward for being a good person? And if I gather enough evidence, they might be prosecuted. If they're prosecuted, it might go to court. If it goes to court, they might be found guilty. If they're found guilty, they might spend six months, two years in jail, and then they're out. And then they need money, worse than ever, and they're filled with revenge. I cannot live a life like that. I cannot have that chewing on me for the rest of my life. I cannot. I refuse to live with that level of fear. Seeming to remove any doubt that Byron moved his truck for no reason other than to make it look like he had left his house, you hear him say, left at 11.30, both dead by one. One of the most damning pieces of information that came from a Fox 9 report stated that prior to the shootings, Byron can be heard talking to himself about setting up an appointment with a lawyer. That coupled with the tarp at the end of the stairs, the light bulb being taken out of the fixture in the basement, and the moving of his truck, it sounds a lot like Byron had a plan and he knew exactly how this day was going to end, not just for him, but also for Nick and Haley. Byron's attorney asked for a mistrial, saying that he didn't have the ballistic reports that had been discussed at the trial, but his request was denied. Instead, he was given a break to review them. In order to get a mistrial, he would have had to prove that the evidence withheld might have changed the outcome of the jury's decision, but in this case, no one was denying that Byron was the shooter. They weren't even questioning what guns he shot them with or even how many times he had shot them. So while the ballistic reports gave some context, they weren't going to prove whether or not Byron was justified in his actions. The prosecution rested and Byron did not take the stand, but one of his neighbors did. According to the Star Tribune, this is what he had to say. Byron Smith is one of the nicest gentlemen you're ever going to meet. If one of you people would have a flat tire in front of the courthouse today, that gentleman would buy you a new tire and send you on your way. 
The jury was sent out for deliberations, and while they were working towards a verdict, the public took to the internet to share whether or not they would convict Byron if they were on the jury. And it seemed like most people were actually leaning towards not guilty. Some agreed that it was absolute overkill, while most others seemed to feel like whatever happens to you after you break into someone's house is your fault. Some even seemed disgusted that the public was making excuses and worrying about the quote-unquote safety of home invaders and robbers. I actually saw one comment that's pretty gross, which said, he should have just gotten rid of the trash and no one would have noticed. There was a lot of, this wouldn't have happened if they hadn't broken into his home, but the jury's job was to decide whether or not that justified shooting a 17-year-old boy in the face who had already been shot in the chest and back. Did that justify shooting an 18-year-old girl in the head multiple times after she had already been shot and was lying at the bottom of his stairs? The jury's job was to decide whether Byron's actions were or were not legal. They had their pick between the original second-degree counts and the indicted first-degree counts. So even if they didn't think it was first-degree murder, they could still find him guilty of the lesser charges. On April 29, 2014, just three hours after being sent out for deliberations, the jury was back with a verdict. Instead of choosing between first- and second-degree murder, the jury found Byron guilty on all four counts. While the public had seemed to sway heavily towards not guilty, the jury had no problem finding him guilty at all. Byron was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In a victim impact statement, Haley's aunt talked about how Nick and Haley loved family gatherings and how since the shooting, there are two empty seats at every one of them. It wasn't until after the verdict that online forums started seeing more comments of people saying they thought the jury got it right, though others still hoped Byron would appeal and that the Supreme Court would view his trial differently. Byron has exhausted every attempt to appeal, and his last one was denied in 2021. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Nick and Haley's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.